You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. We've been in a series where we've been going through the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs written by Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived. And it's this conversation of statements that he's telling us that it's gonna begin, begin to transform how we think so that we can live better lives. And the title of the message this morning is simply this, Better Decisions and Fewer Regrets. I would say that most of us would sign up for that one. I mean, after all, better decisions, fewer regrets is a big deal. And I wanna start off with this statement, one that hopefully we would all kind of agree with, and it's simply this, that the quality of your decisions will impact the quality of your life. Now there's a lot of things that happen to us that we have no control over. We can't control the weather, we can't control the economy, we can't control things that have happened to us. And certainly things have happened to a lot of us in this room, but in the things that we do have influence over, the things that we actually can control to a degree, and control maybe is not even the right word, are the decisions that we have in front of us, how we navigate through things, and the things that we end up choosing. and, and The hope and prayer for a lot of us in this room that I would have is this, that the litmus test, hopefully, is that all of us are wanting to make better decisions so that we could actually have, and this is the word that I would use, is peace. The ability to lay our heads on our pillow at night and not be surrounded by all of the things that seem to drown so many people. And that's a very real thing, peace. And how do you get to a place of having peace? And so, just to get us all in the same boat, all on the same page, the quality of our decisions absolutely impacts the quality of our life. From a very practical perspective, you can look at finances in this way. The quality of your financial decisions, the way that you will go about viewing and handling money certainly is gonna impact the quality down the road of things. I mean, it's just a very simple, you're gonna reap what you sow. You're gonna put the right things into the ground, the right decisions are gonna impact the direction or the things that you're gonna have see down the road. So all of us, I would say, want to be able to have peace. All of us wanna be able to actually experience the best this life has to offer. Peace being, for me, a massive litmus test. I heard an illustration one time of a very wealthy uh, individual who wanted to commission multiple artists to be able to depict what peace would look like in a painting. And so he set about 14, 15 different artists and they all went out in their minds to try and capture what this piece would look like. And so when the time came for them to kind of bring their paintings in to see which one of them really quite captured what piece is, there was lots of paintings of serene scenes, of sunsets over the ocean, of wild animals just cutely dancing through the forest, of Bambi and it being precious. And all of these scenes were beautiful and absolutely peaceful, but there was one painting that stood apart from all of them and it was the scene of a storm. And immediately the owner who wanted to commission what peace looked like was captivated, like why is this one so vastly different from all the other ones? The other ones are serene and calm and nice and this one is a scene of a storm and it happened to be a storm that was hitting on a beach. And in the painting, he could see that there was a massive rock that was on the beach itself and that the waves were clearly, the sky was gray and dark and that the waves were just smashing on the rock. And it's like, well, how does this depict peace? And the artist said, well, look a little bit closer at the rock that's on the beach. And so this wealthy individual began looking at the rock and as he looked at the rock, he saw tucked into the rock was this 
bird and it had a nest. And where the bird was placed was in this place of protection, covered and surrounded by the rock. And the bird was covering over its chicks. And you could just see that despite the storm, this bird was placed in such a way that the rock was 100% protecting it. And the picture on the face of the bird was one of unbelievable peace. And when the wealthy individual saw that, he said, maybe that's a glimpse of what peace is. And in a lot of ways, I love that illustration because Jesus says it's gonna rain. It's gonna rain on the just and unjust, on the poor, on the wealthy alike, that things are gonna happen that no one expects, that life is very difficult. But if you build your life on the rock, if you allow the decisions and the way that you live and how you think to build you on something more substantial than you or more substantial than this world, then even when the rain comes, even when things get really difficult, you might have the opportunity to experience peace. That's why there's some people who have lived their life so much for Jesus that when things don't go their way, when the unexpected happens, they are able to be at peace. So how do we get to this place? Well, let's talk first real quick, ready? Why are good decisions so hard? Ready, here's a couple reasons real quick. Number one is this, is that we are overwhelmed by choices. My son is getting ready to turn five and the amount of presents on his wish list is unbelievable. And he'll come and sit in my lap and what he wants to do is like, hey daddy, can we talk about my birthday? I'm like, sure. He goes, can we go to my list? And I remember when I was a kid, long before internet existed, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, we had these things called catalogs that would come in the mail, it's paper, and you would flip it and you couldn't like, it, it, anyway. What I did is I went through and circled all the things that I wanted. Well now with internet stuff, man, you're going on Amazon and one present leads to another present and he's like, and, and so our phrase to him is, son, you only can get your favorites if we're able to. Something that I've noticed with three kids, by the way, the older they get, the more expensive it is. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We're overwhelmed by choices. Why are, and, and, and here's the thing. In being overwhelmed by choices, we are afraid of making the wrong decision. And so it's, it, we get stuck sometimes. We get stuck. Well, what do we do and how do we navigate through this? Well, the job's offering me something over here. What do, I, do I take that over here? Or do I stay put and try and figure something else out? What do I do? And choices can abound. It's absolutely a part of the world that we live in. Here's another reason, ready? And this is a massive one of why making good decisions are hard. We don't like waiting. We hate waiting. I, I'm, it is amazing the things that, by the way, Having grown up or spent half of my life overseas, one of the things that's unique that I see about the United States is how easily it is to access credit. I mean, if you wanna buy, some, if you wanna buy shoes right now for $150, you can pay in installments for the shoes. And, and it, it's, it's so easy to get access credit because we've, as a culture, have said, we don't like waiting. I remember, listen, my parents, when I was growing up in the mission field, do not have a lot of inheritance to hand down to me. But one thing that they did teach me is, listen, son, be okay with not having everything all at once. And I'll remember as a young man, the first time I purchased a house in Malden, or actually right behind the, the, the public library in Malden, the Lord opened up a door. I was working at a shoe store. I was managing a shoe store called the Athlete's Foot, which is single-handedly the worst name for a shoe store ever. I have no idea how that passed any kind of creative board. I mean, fungal infection is the name. I'm like, what is happening right now? Anyway, and so I, I buy a house and this is what I didn't realize at the age, I think I was 23 when I got the house. I'm like, first of all, 
I grew up overseas. My parents never really, they owned one house my entire life. They've only ever rented. And here I am at the age of 23 buying a house. And then I realized after I bought the house that you need to put stuff in the house. And then I'm like, oh my, I'm like, what do, how do I do this? I don't know what to do here. And so I didn't know one thing. My parents said this, pay for stuff with the money you got. I looked at the money that I had and I just said, I bought a house. I have nothing. I literally, have, and then I'm like, Okay, and then in, in the world that we live in, I, I had no idea, like there's all, if you go to buy a vacuum cleaner, do you know how many vacuum cleaners there are out there? And then of course, those of you, you go to buy a vacuum cleaner, I don't want just a vacuum cleaner, I want the vacuum cleaner that sucks the carpet off the floor. Because do you know, have you ever been vacuuming and you go over something and it doesn't come up and what do you do? You go down, you pick it up, oh look at this, and then you put it back down? That's the world of vacuum cleaners that go and don't really work. That's just one example. I didn't have stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll move in with no furniture and very few items. I truly didn't have anything, but I knew I was gonna have a house. I learned, and I, t- I told my kids this. I'm like, listen, kids, you look around at our house. I said, I'm 42. I said, we didn't have all of this stuff immediately. It took time to build things up. It took faithfulness and like, okay, we're gonna make this decision now and Here's the thing, why do we make bad decisions? Because we hate waiting. The very best thing that you could do right now, ready, is wait, don't get it. It is so easy to go get the 85 inch TV screen with the full sound system and not 4K but 8K and like hologram. It'll, it literally will take you into the future. By the way, when the Apple Vision comes out, like just wait, don't get it yet. I mean, it's, it's just, it's amazing. We have a hard time waiting. All right, let's keep going though. Let me tell you another reason why good decisions are hard. Because we let emotions rule the day. Do you know how, it's, we sometimes can make permanent decisions on an emotional roller coaster place. And, and so it really, really can impact us. All of these things can absolutely impact us. Growing up, a little different. I love telling stories of the way I grew up because I've lived in a lot of places, experienced a lot of life, both really cool things and tough things. But one of the things about growing up overseas, which I found fascinating, in the 80s in South America, transportation was the absolute worst. Now, to give you an idea, I have pictures. This is a picture of one of the airports that we would fly in and out of and the plane that we would fly in and out of. Do you know how terrifying that is? Now, listen, if you're afraid of flying, this is your worst nightmare. The, there's no safety inspections anywhere. It's a dirt runway, and we would fly in and out of these places, and, and we experienced all kinds of in-the-air moments that were just unbelievable. My, my, as a kid, one time, flying out there, and we see liquid going down the window. Well, the liquid wasn't water. It was fuel that was leaking out of the side of the plane. One time, right before landing, the plane goes back up into the air because the pilot forgot to put the landing gear down. Do you know what doesn't inspire confidence? And so I grew up with like good luck. And my dad tells me this story. Now I was a kid, I don't remember this, but my dad tells me the story. My dad said, hey dude, when you were a kid, God called me to be able to go preach at this one village. And so we hopped on the plane. Before we hopped on the plane though, they said the plane's not working, mechanical issues, we need to fix it. He said, so we waited 24 hours in some like, they shoved everybody in one room. We slept there and he said, the plane was kind of scary looking. He goes, next day, they said, the plane is working. He said, so son, I took you on that plane, but I was terrified. I said, that's great, dad. 
He said, we made it to the place. I said, that's awesome. And then he said, two weeks later, that same plane crashed. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it took a turn. You weren't expecting that one, were you? Got dark real quick. I had transportation. So we lived in the Amazon jungle. Let me show you the next picture. This is, this is so... In the Amazon jungle, now there's a city that we lived in, and in the city, this is actually a floating city that's in the city, and you can get on boats. Now, the, to understand the Amazon jungle, like, you have to understand how vital the Amazon River is. If you take the world's eight largest rivers, the world's eight largest rivers, and combine them into one river, the Amazon would still be bigger. It is the amount and volume of water is crazy. And by the way, when you're in the Amazon, there are all kinds of things waiting for you to fall in the water to eat you. There are things that will absolutely wreck you. I'm talking about piranhas. I'm talking about massive anacondas. I'm talking about boa snakes. I'm talking about alligators. I'm talking about, there are things, you are not the apex predator in the jungle. They are like peeking their eyes out, being like, just, just put a finger in the water, just come on. Well, as a kid, I remember we would get on these boats and we would go visit different places. One of the boats we got in had a bucket sitting down there and the captain's like, okay, we're gonna go. Little motor in the back. And I'm like, what's the bucket for? He goes, oh, there's a hole in the boat. And your job is to get the water out faster than the water comes in. <laughs> when you go on these kind of things, you're gonna have to dig deep to figure out what you really, really, really believe about life. And the reason I bring this transportation stuff issue is this, is that with the decisions that you and I have to make, I'm gonna start off by asking you, what do you really, really, really believe about life? Because life can be like that, ups and downs, and man, this plane, is it gonna make it, or this boat, are we gonna, that's the way life is. So what do you and I, really believe? Elijah stands up in the Old Testament and in Kings and he says this, what do you believe? If you believe the Lord, follow him. If you believe Baal, follow him. Joshua gets up and he says the same thing. He says, choose who you're gonna serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So in our decisions, I wanna ask the question, what do we truly and really believe in here? And that's where we're gonna turn to Proverbs. Because Solomon is gonna speak to us about a phrase that you've heard many times before, but it's the phrase that underlies the decisions that all of us should make in our life. And it's the fear of the Lord. Do we really believe in God to the place where we can actually fear the Lord? So I want you to see these verses real quick. Ready? We're gonna look at three in a row. This is Solomon. And he writes in Proverbs 1, 7 in the very beginning of the book and he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. I came across a news article about a shipwreck that happened in 1859. The name of the ship was called uh, the Royal Charter and it, it sailed from Australia all the way up to uh, England, the UK. And it was gonna be docked off the uh, coast of Liverpool. And it was carrying $170 million of gold. And right before it reached England, the ship began to sink. And it was interesting because news articles talked about the people who were jumping out of the boat for safety, as they were jumping out of the boat, one of the things that they were doing was grabbing the gold and shoving it in their pockets. Because $170 million, that could change so much. But then what was interesting is the people said, the people who had weighed themselves down with gold began swimming and of course, began drowning. 
And so Solomon writes here and he, he, he says, listen, he goes, the, the fear of the Lord, the thing that impacts how you think and the way you make decisions is the beginning of knowledge, but fools live differently. Fools think differently. And the way we think impacts the decisions that we make. Look at this next verse, ready? The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Here's another passage. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I love this. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Well, so what? So what? And here's the, here's the crux of the matter. This is what I hope is gonna allow us in this room to be men and women who are able to make better decisions with fewer regrets. I've come to believe this with all of my heart. Ready? When your values become clear, your decisions are gonna become easier. And what I wanna challenge you with today is this, is ask you, what do you really believe? Not what does your spouse believe, not as what does your grandma believe, what do you, to the core of who you are, believe? And when your values become clear, when you settle on something that you believe, if the Lord is real, then fear him. And that thought should permeate all of the other decisions that you make in your life. It should affect how you treat your spouse. It should impact how you handle your finances. It should treat how you, treat, how you raise your kids. It should be the thing that undergirds all of the choices that you have. Now, you can't control all of the things that happen to you, but do you know what? You can fear God to the place that the decisions that you do have in front of you are the good ones and the right ones. It's the fear of the Lord. And I've seen it play out over and over and over again in my life that when my values are clear, that what I truly believe in is settled, it makes the decisions that I have in front of me easier. And when I say easier, I don't mean easier to do. Sometimes it's very hard decisions to actually do. I mean easier to decide. Well, this is the path that I have. I mean, I could give you so many examples, it's unbelievable. I'll never forget I was 29 years old, my wife and I had been recently married and we moved overseas to Nicaragua, Central America to be able to launch a ministry that we believed in. And we were gonna start something called One by One and it was designed to help reach kids. Now let me show you a picture of a kid in Nicaragua. This is a girl who began coming to our ministry. We were going into an environment in which in Nicaragua, Central America, kids are everywhere. And by the way, I love seeing kids get baptized. You know why? Let me give you a stat that's just kind of crazy. Do you know that if you're under the age of 13, you're 87% more likely to accept Jesus? And so a lot of the missionary stuff, which I love mission stuff, I, that's what I studied, I believe, is, is geared for adults. Now, I'm all about adults, but when God sent us down to the mission field, I'm like, how do we reach kids? And then we were gonna be partnering with House of Hope, a ministry we partner with to this day. And House of Hope reaches women who are prostitute women, and they have kids, and they are not always welcome in churches. So I said, how do we have a ministry reaching out to kids who are precious to tell them that God loves them? And so I arrived there at the age of 29 years old with not a, a lot of resources, my wife and I. The month we moved there, we got pregnant with our first kid. A lot of life changed in a condensed period of time. And so here we are, we found ourselves over there and I'm like, okay, Lord, you put this dream and desire on my heart. And so I'm like, okay, well, what do we do? And I immediately, I'm like, we need to find a place to start meeting to invite kids to be able to come to this. And it's a city of a million and a half people and our resources were limited and I discovered right away it was gonna be very hard finding anywhere to be able to start launching a ministry. 
And I began visiting places with real estate people and I'm like, well, this is too expensive and we can't afford this and I don't think we can meet here. And I began to get discouraged when I felt God say, Jeremy, I've got this. I said, okay. And then I felt God say, start building a team of people to actually help you lead. And I said, God, that doesn't make sense. We don't have a place yet. And God says, do what I say because I promise you I got this. And so, okay, Lord, I fear you more than I fear anything else. And so I stopped trying to find places that we could meet in and I started building a team and I came across a guy who had been leading worship in a church. He discovered that we were looking for someone to help, help us and Nicaraguan guy and, and, and we met, we seemed to gel, it seemed to go okay, but he was working in a church and so I remember being like, well listen, I don't know where we're gonna meet. This is all like, God's got this. I fear his name, he's good. Okay, this is great, but I have no idea where it's gonna play out at. And I said, but before I offer you anything, I wanna sit down with the pastor of the church that you're serving in because I don't wanna just do anything without first talking to, your past, to the pastor. He said, sure. So I set up a meeting with the pastor of a church that he was serving in, and it happened to be one of the larger churches in the capital city, happened to be one of the larger churches in the country with actually multiple churches. And so I set up a meeting with this pastor, and so I show up, 29-year-old Jeremy. And I'm like, hey, we wanna launch this ministry. He's like, that's awesome, where? I said, I don't know but I would love to hire so-and-so if it's okay with you. I don't wanna do it without your permission. And so he goes, thank you so much for talking to me. And so, so in the course of that conversation, we're talking in his office and I notice all the commotion happening on in the background. And I'm like, so what are you guys doing? He's like, oh yeah, we're moving. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And he's like, yeah, we bought land just a couple of blocks down the road. It'll be our land. We, I, I said, so do you own the building? He goes, no, we don't own the building. He said, we've had the building now for over 25 years, but we've been renting it. The, the owners are incredible friends of ours but we're buying property that we own. And so we're moving. I said, that's really cool. And then in the course of that meeting, he goes, are you interested in finding a location? Now you have to understand, it's a large church. They put 700 seats in their sanctuary. They had classrooms and office space. I had known that there's no way we could afford any of this stuff because we didn't have a lot of money. I had an idea because I started looking at spaces. And I said, yes, well, let me pray about it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm interested. <laughs> but we can't afford it. There's no way we can afford it. He goes, well, let me tell you something. We've been renting this for 25 years and the owner has been giving us a special rate of $900 a month. And if you're interested, we can talk to the owner to see if they're gonna give you the same rate that they've given us. And I said, boom, yes, yes. That was really weird in the microphone. Yes. He makes a call or two, meet the owners, and they agree to allow us to have this ministry for $900 a month, centrally located in a city, a sanctuary where you can seat 700 people. There's 550 seats in this place right now. 700 people, kids can run around, and we can launch a ministry. Let me show you some pictures. So this is us. I have one with my daughter, actually. So she's born in there, yeah, right there. And we open up the doors, and the church just flooded with kids. I'm gonna show you another one real quick. And we would separate. And I just, I, I, I'm gonna just tell you, it was like, okay, Lord, you do have this. Do I have one more? I think that might be it. Yeah, is there one more? Yeah, I think that's it. So, I remember 29-year-old Jeremy had a choice in front of him. Okay, Lord, you're telling me to go a, a shift over a little bit. And I did, and the Lord opened up a door, and we saw so many kids come. 
I, wanna, I want you to understand that the same God who was with 29-year-old Jeremy in Nicaragua is not different now. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he's the same for you as he is for me. And what he wants to do, what Solomon tells us is this, what do you value in your life when push comes to shove, when you hop on the plane that you're not sure is gonna make it, what do you actually believe? Do you fear his name above all other names? Because believe it or not, how you answer that will impact the choices and decisions that you make. And I want you to always make the right ones. I want you to make the decisions that lead you to a life of few regrets. And I have discovered whenever I have chosen God's way, it has always ever, ever been the best way. I told you I moved into a house and I had nothing. Well, I was working at a shoe store. I was also work, volunteering at a church. At the shoe store, I made a list of items that I needed for the house that I had no money for whatsoever. And I was volunteering at the church. You know why I was volunteering at the church? Because I told God if he paid for college, I'd go anywhere he wanted me to go for free. A church offered me a job and then said these words, we can't pay you anything. That's why I made it to Greenville, South Carolina. So I'm working at a shoe store and I have no money. I make a list of things for the house. Unbeknownst to me, one of the workers at the shoe store also went to our church, saw the list of things that I made, went and photocopied the list. I had no money for anything, and you know what happened? The people in the church got together and they actually got me all of the items on my list at a surprise party for me, and right before I moved into the house, they said, Jeremy, we wanna bless you with some things. Shower curtains and pots and pans and dishes. And I moved into a house and I had stuff because God provided I wanna take you to a story, to a moment, Isaiah chapter six. I've preached this before, but I want you to get to a place where you can begin to make decisions based on what you truly believe to the core of your soul. I find this story beautiful because it's such a contrast. And it's Isaiah chapter six, and I want you to, we're gonna start here, ready? Isaiah says this, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now that probably means not a whole lot to you. So let me put some context to it, okay? The year is 740 BC, and Uzziah was a very godly king, and he served the Lord. Now, he made some mistakes. He was just like anyone else. He was human. But Uzziah was a godly, godly king, and he became king at the age of 16. He got his driver's license and became king. Same day. It was awesome. And when he becomes king, he makes the decision he is gonna serve and follow the Lord. So what does God do? God blesses Uzziah in his life. In fact, Uzziah conquers more cities. He has unbelievable levels of peace and prosperity and they thrive under Uzziah's reign. And in fact, all the nations that would have wanted to come in to attack Uzziah and the kingdom there, they don't because they're afraid of Uzziah's strength. So they leave them alone. Peace and prosperity, and things are going well because he's someone who says, God, I'm gonna choose to do, follow and worship you first. So in Isaiah six, it's the moment ready where King Uzziah died. Now what this means is this, change is coming, we don't know who the next king is gonna be, but all the people who wanted to attack but didn't attack, now are getting their knives ready because it's gonna be a turbulent time. It's a scary time. And this this is where Isaiah finds himself, with an uncertain future, not knowing what's gonna happen next. And in Isaiah six, let's keep reading, he says this, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. By the way, that would be terrifying to look at. 
like for real, you would be like mesmerized, like not wanna turn your eyes away, but like, oh my gosh, what is that? Just unbelievably beautiful. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorsteps and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips. We talked about lying last week in Proverbs. It's interesting that his reaction is the words that he spoke. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. Isn't that a beautiful moment? And the moment of uncertainty in the future, what does Isaiah get? He gets a glimpse into the throne room of God. And it just changes everything. And the reason I bring this story up is this. When it comes to what you really believe, truly, I'm talking about beyond all of the things that you say you believe, I'm talking about who you are to the core of your soul. We often have a choice to make. And what happens in the world that we currently live in is that we get overwhelmed by all the uncertainty and the problems and the challenges that face us. We spend our days looking at our phones and some text messages that got sent to us or an email that hit us over the weekend or some unknown medical diagnosis or something that happened financially that we had no control over. We live in a world in which we can be drowning in the issues that come against us constantly and continually and we have zero guarantee of knowing what's gonna happen tomorrow. Isaiah lived in a world where we don't know Uzziah's dead, is his son gonna do a good job or are the other nations gonna attack us and lead us into exile? What is gonna happen here? And in that moment, Isaiah gets taken up to see God seated on a throne and it is unbelievable. And Isaiah is moved. And then God asks, who will I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. It's the moment of Isaiah's calling. And so the value that we carry, what we really value in this world, I want us to understand that what we value is, gonna, is going to really make our decisions for us. Do we really believe in God? Do we really wanna follow after God? And what we really value is also gonna get our attention. Do we, does, does it get our attention? And what I have seen is this, while we can believe in God, we swim in a world of problems. We swim in a world of brokenness. And so I've discovered one of the greatest things in my life that has ever shifted me away is worship. And that the moment that Isaiah got taken into heaven, he saw the Lord seated on a throne. And it says this, the train of his robe filled the temple. In the ancient world, how long a king's robe was determined how powerful they were. And in the throne room of God, his robe filled the temple. So in other words, it doesn't matter what happens next after Uzziah died because God's seated on a throne. And I have seen in my life over and over again that when, listen, I'll put it this way. Some of the worst moments of my life, worship has saved the day. Because you know what happens? It takes my attention away from all of the problems. And I see God and I remember I can fear him again despite what I see in front of me. When our third son was born and he almost died and, and actually should have probably died and they're moving him from St. Francis to downtown Prisma and the doctors look at us and you can just tell they had no hope. You know what my wife and I did in that room? My wife had just had a very complicated delivery. We just began to sing. 
you know song we began to sing? He couldn't breathe. That's why, that's why he was dying. It's your breath. And I can't sing, so, but it makes a joyful noise. It's from my heart. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. And in the hospital room, our attention went to a king seated on a throne. The worst, some of the worst moments of my life, worship has taken my attention away from the things that I face onto a king in the year year Uzziah died. My attention goes up like this and I see a king and I can fear him more because I know that he's good. I know that he's able. I know that he loves and he leads. And my hope for you is that when you get to those moments of your life, you will also go to what you value you'll say, God, I fear you and I put you first. Let me end with this verse and then we're done. Back to Proverbs, ready? This is Solomon. This is a really well-known passage of scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. You will not trust in a God that you do not fear. And by the way, fear is not afraid of. Fear is in awe of. I'm in all of you, God. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.